Okay, so welcome to the new year, a new season. We are kicking off season four of Pwned, which is a pretty remarkable achievement. Season four, it's a home run. Four, over four, four years. Four bagger. Yeah, this is a lot. I don't, I don't think a lot of podcasts actually make it that long. We're in like the hundreds. I don't even know what episode number. I still find it interesting. Me too. Yeah, that's excellent. And for all of you out there, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so this is our first season of the new year. First season of series four. Well, the first episode of season four. First episode of season four. And it's our birthday special. Woohoo! Yes, yes. For our beloved listeners, tomorrow yeah. is actually the birthday of both Holly McDubswell, the most tremendous producer and corrector of errors in the universe, and my partner in crime, Justin Fimlade, who's the reason we're all here. So happy birthday to the cybersecurity industry for the birth of two seminal pioneers. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And to Old Forrester. Cheers, Holly. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Like angels walking on my tongue. Mm. That's that's heavenly. It's not my birthday, but I feel reborn. (laughs) All right, man. What are we doing? What are we doing today? Well, you found an article, I think that'd be fun to talk about, uh, where uh, the CEO from Zurich was talking about some of the problems associated with actually paying the substantial claims and maintaining a supportable business around cyber insurance. So if you're cool with it, I'd love to talk about that. Yep. Let's do it. The headline that actually stood out to me was um, the words uninsurable. Uh, Basically, the the market's becoming uninsurable. And I mean, it's a long article. There's a lot of articles about it. Um, Mario Greco was his name. Um, he's been quoted quite a bit lately saying like, it's, it's problematic. (laughs) They've got, they've got some issues how things are underwritten today, which I'm like, my, just my, my opinion is like, I totally understand why we are where we're at. I don't feel like we need to be there. Like there's, there's things that we can do to fix this. And like if you're looking for a better codification of what things should be, or like you're looking to build a standard, like you should work with actual experts in the space who actually understand the problem they're trying to solve to, to help you come up with a solution on how you do this, like where you put the boundaries on it. But to just kind of freewheel it, you, you know, like you're, you're going to get, you're going to get what you get at that point. You know, so I'm like, I'm not surprised where we're at, where we're at. You know, it for me, it's really, really interesting. I mentioned uh, before we got in the air mm-hmm. today that uh, a number of years ago, I did a keynote for Zurich America on cybersecurity. This is back before cyber insurance was really a r- relatively well-accepted kind of big deal. And I remember talking with some of the, the underwriters and some of the actuaries, right, about why is it? Why is this such a hard thing? And for me, it was a really eye-opening experience, right? And it was a question of history and repeatability. Because it's very difficult for an organization responsible for insuring folks to make a rational decision on how much they should charge and what they should pay out without any history. Right? Yeah. And the question I had asked, because I thought it was like this fundamental basic question, I'm like, well, wait a minute. You mean it's the same insurance if I have a firewall or I don't have a firewall? I'm thinking like, you know, Fisher Price Security, right? And like, well, Jack, can you tell me whether an organization is more or less likely to be breached if they have a firewall? I'm like... Hmm. And through my head, I'm running all the ones I know in my head. I'm like, they all had firewalls, right? <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, yeah, that, you're right. And, and they said, that's exactly the problem. There's no actuarial certainty that doing any of these things makes much of a difference. So as I was reading the article you sent along and just thinking about this in a, in a slightly different way, I said to myself, if I think about the regular insurance industry 
And let's face it, for the cyber insurance companies, this is a great marketplace. There's not a lot of stuff that's growing. We're not going to have a million new cars. We're not going to have a million new houses. People have stuff, right? So the insurance, that's sort of like a competitive business is great. Um, but cyber is pretty new, right? Um, how do they decide how much coverage they give in these other industries? So I'm thinking about like my car or my motorcycle or my house. They're like, how much is it worth? And then they assess that. They look at you know, blue book data, or they look at local real estate data and they say, okay, that's a reasonable price for your house check. Mm -hmm. And then they say, okay, well, if you have a fire alarm and you do something else, you're going to get this much and maybe a fire extinguisher. I think there's a very limited number of things aside from yeah. being outside the floodplain that benefits you. But what they've done is at the front end, they've done very limited stuff to say, um, are you a higher risk or a lower risk? We'll just use the house for your house. They don't ask you questions like, Jack, do you experience, do you experiment with chemicals in the basement that could explode and blow up your house? Or do you have friends that typically bring over fireworks in the middle of summer to light them up inside the house? They don't ask those kinds of questions. Really limited questions. They limit the coverage based on what they know they're protecting. Right. Right. And if I want them to protect my collection of Lego art, if such a thing existed, then I've got to ensure that separately. Right. right? And I think that this is the real problem. And I'd love to get your thoughts on it. How do we help our industry, the cybersecurity industry, provide more information to our clients and potentially to their insurers so that they understand better what they're protecting so that the insurance company can now eliminate what is basically an unlimited liability when all you're doing is ensuring you won't get breached, which I think is just a completely untenable proposition. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, as you were talking, like just thinking through the evolution of it, whether it's insuring cars or houses or whatever the scenario may be, um, the historical positioning and artifacts mm -hmm. of that argument is like, is really sound. But it's also reasonable to think through the evolution of this, the insurance industry has gotten smarter. Mm -hmm. Technology has caught up with construction, manufacturing, um, to build safer houses. Like we now have codes. We now have we've moved things like asbestos from house. We've now like we're adding things that are flame resistant to houses. Right. And so where you start and where they started with housing or cars, the scenario may be they've added risk mitigation measures along the way, which has materially shaped the insurance industry. Um, I think we're at a similar spot in cyber. We're saying we're still early, but we've made technological enhancements that I don't think the industry has really given anybody any credit for because no one can understand what cyber is, right? Like where the boundaries are. But your last point, I think, is one of the most important ones of saying with all like using your, your analogy there with like houses of saying like you can insure the house based on a value. But if you want anything like inside the house protected, that's going to be additional, all right? Or like, we're going to give you coverage up to a certain amount for all the possessions inside your house. But if you want that, like that collector's Lego set protected, that's going to be additional. And it might be like a premium add-on, right? And you might be totally fine. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see why we can't apply the same thinking to cyber. The issue that I see is saying you are mistakenly trying to ensure an entire organization for a specific event, which I don't think is realistic in every other examples of insurance that's ever existed. And your comment about them not understanding what they're trying to insure, saying like, for me, just simply, I was saying like, the course of underwriting a policy do an asset discovery. If an asset's on the list, it's insured. 
If it's if you have other assets that are on a VLAN that are not discoverable, guess what? They're not insured. They are not covered. Mm-hmm. As long as you agree to patch, harden these these assets that we know about, they have proper protections in place, similar to like wearing your seatbelt while you're driving. Yep. And if it's found out that you don't do these things, guess what? It's not going to pay out. But if you did everything you said you're going to do and the thing still happened, then yeah, it shouldn't, shouldn't, I like accidents happen. Bad things happen. That's the reason why we transfer risk to an insurance underwriter. But like, there's so many like similarities with other things that are insured today that like, we don't seem to follow within the cyber landscape, which is like completely crazy to me. And the fact, like, we're still struggling with this is, it's insane to me. Like, I don't, like, to me, I see, see a path. I realize I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but, like, to me, like, I see, like, a pretty reasonable path that, you know, if people could get behind it, I, it's reasonable to me, I think it would work, you know? But anyway, so that's, that's kind of my two cents on that. But a question for you. So you talked to the Zurich folks, like, t- 10 years ago, whatever the number was. Were you talking about the same things then that you are now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I would say because that was largely in advance of the large-scale digital transformation people have gone through, where now so many things they care about are outside their direct control, I think the problem's only gotten more complex. But, yeah, it's all it was all the same stuff. You know, if I can hit something you just said that I thought was really, really good, which is the first step in this process is that asset inventory. Yeah. Right? If I think about the one place where cyber insurance is different than regular insurance, it's that, right? We've seen, and I know you've seen more than I, but even I've seen multiple different insurance surveys of what's going on in terms of providing you with your protection. How do I scope the premium structure, right? But most of it's about what are you doing to protect? What's your regulation? What's your controls? How do you fit against some standard? That doesn't exist in the same way in regular insurance. And I will tell you, I think it's because the market, our market, cybersecurity has underinformed both the clients and the insurers about what they're trying to do. Because cyber insurance is about, I'm gonna insure if you get breached. As though breached means something, right? It means something consistent. Yeah. A breach could mean a highly targeted theft of very highly valuable IP associated with some the construction of some new drug, or it could mean ransomware attack against a public school system. Yeah. They're the same, they're a breach, right? How do you differentiate in the policy until you understand that this is a little thing, very, very valuable in a, in a safe, it's like insuring jewels with lots of protections around it, so I care a lot about that, or insuring against liability, the public playground. Right. And I will promise insurance companies know how to do both of those two things. Yeah. And they kick ass on it and they know how to do it well. And that market has existed for hundreds of years and everything is awesome. Right. Right. And I think to the point you made, we have to get that similar level of asset sensitivity to the way in which the insurance, the insurance gets applied and then layer onto it. The other thing you mentioned, which is the different controls you put in place to protect those things differently. Yeah. Right. And so, I'm just thinking in my mind now of a fantasy insurance policy that maybe solves Mario Greco's, you know, issues is that I'm looking inside and I'm like, dude, these 10 applications, these 10 services that I'm providing, they're transactions. If they go out during the Christmas season, I'm hosed. Other 11 months, 
don't care as much, but care some. Here's what I'm doing to protect them. Here's the kind of insurance I'd like for that. That's very nice. Thank you very much, Jack. Thank you, Mr. Greco. And then I move on to the next one. I say, by the way, here's all my users. They're really, really smart people. I need them to be functional, eh, but not as important as that thing over there. I'm going to protect them this way. They're going to have more access, more availability. I need you to protect against a bunch of them going down. A few of them go down. That's kind of okay. All of them go down. Super sad, right? So I'd like to pay for insurance for that. It'll be probably less on a per unit basis, but maybe more overall, but it's a different kind of coverage. You're just responsible for helping me get them back up to speed. Thank you very much, Jack. Ms. Greco, happy to serve, right? And so what we're doing is we're creating policies now which are focused the same way insurance is. So when you said that, that's exactly what it is. It is a more sensitized application of insurance theory. It's really back to basics for insurance. Yeah. That's all it is. Go back to what you know, go back to what you do really well, apply it here in these cases, and stuff's gonna be fine. You just have to categorize stuff correctly. Right. I like how you kind of broke, you broke these parts out. The pieces that are kind of the individual things that you might ensure like within a business or like in a personal context, in a security leader sense, those are become some of the things that you protect for your organization, right? So it's not, it's not the idea of like dying on a hill type of thing. It's rather being intentional about what you're trying to do, communicating your intent and having reason why you do stuff. Now, the other day we talked a lot about the idea of internal compliance, right? right? The difference between internal compliance and external compliance. This example falls squarely in the realm of internal compliance of saying, there's no outside regulations that say you should do these things. But this asset that you've just insured has a material value to your organization. And with it, now that becomes your focus for how you craft internal controls, internal security controls for your organization and now, <clears throat> instead of trying to craft controls for everything, and you can provide frameworks and guidance on how to do all these other things, but now you can be very, very intentional with a limited set of tools, a limited set of resources, a limited set of staff to say, let's protect what's really important to us. But then you can start to get to a high level of specificity and really get to why you're protecting specific assets within an organization. So if you have IT teams, you have HR team, you have whatever coming to you and say, hey, what do we do about this? And be like, we have to protect this because these are the reasons why. Our insurance policy says that we have to do X, Y, and Z. And if we don't, <clears throat> our coverage is void, right? So I need you to get on board with these reasons, right? And it really creates a lot of intentionality. So then it comes to all this other stuff, right? And I just imagine like in the enterprise environment, it's like having a house party happen all the time and you're trying to protect the art from getting knocked off the wall and damaged, but there's red solo cups tossed all over the floor. <laughs> and in those cases, ins insurance has a great track record of doing everything that you said of like covering like a broad liability, but they also understand like accidents are going to happen. Right. And people act with some level of due care and all these things that kind of come with it. And you're not going to go in and be reckless and damage these things, but like truth of the matter is accidents happen. But they also have another great, the insurance industry also has another great track record of like <clears throat> premium and custom insurance. And I, I, I don't know the name for it now, but it's um, like a really, uh, like really easy example is saying like insurance industries will insure a house, houses, right? And um, normal consumer houses. But when it comes to really high end houses, those are customized insurance policies. They're going to send someone to your house they're going to appraise the uniqueness of the house and they'll create a customized policy mm -hmm. to accommodate all of those things. Mm -hmm. The issue that I think we have within cyber right now is that because people 
insurance underwriters don't understand the industry. They're trying to provide one, they're looking at the whole industry under a single lens, but that's not the case. Right. It can't be the case right now. If you're going to insure an organization, insure the asset, insure specific things so you can give people direction internally on what to do, create liability policies for everything else. And then anything above that and additional that requires like the customized insurance requires you have to send someone competent and qualified out to whatever business to properly evaluate what they're underwriting. And at that point, it's reasonable to think, not only are you going to get higher premiums, you're going to get a more valuable coverage for your client. And it's like, really at that point, it's like a win-win for everybody. And um, the piece that, um, this is a couple of years ago, I was talking to someone in the, the insurance space and um, someone who's a leader in the insurance space. And they said to me, they're like, listen, cyber, like insurance, historically speaking, has been fairly stodgy. Mm -hmm. Like they're slow moving. They're not really innovative. They've been doing the same stuff for years and years and years. But the opportunity that they see in front of themselves right now is saying cyber is a way to reinvent themselves. It's a new sexy thing that they can create innovative solutions with. Um, and they can start to kind of like shake some of like the negative stodgy, mm -hmm. stodgy views that um, people have had on the insurance industry. But like if they don't figure this out right now, like that's that ship's going to sail. Like that's going right. to pass them over because other people are going to figure it out. So I just, I, I don't want to see an opportunity miss for the insurance industry. Like I, th I think it's an opportunity to be great, but like go back to basics, like frame this in the context of like what you've understood to date um, and fit it within those boxes and operate within those boxes. Right. And it's my opinion that if you do those things, you're going to be just fine. It's going to feel uncomfortable, but I, th I, th I think it'll be just fine. I love it. I, I'm just going through some of the comments that you made. And I was thinking it was this article we talked a little bit about before the show came on about the report that came out of the World Economic Forum in 2020, where the entire industry was going to go down, may still go down. Right. I think the article was something like we're a few short claims away from cybersecurity insurance going away entirely. Right. Because because of this issue, when you were talking about that idea of being intentional in yeah. terms of both the insurance and the protections, I was just running through my head the scenario where that actually happens, right? And the underwriter comes in, the agent, the broker comes in and says, well, Jack, Justin, we want to secure you. We want to insure you. Um, however, here's a couple of things. Number one, to give you insurance against the potential liability of employee information going out into the public, yeah. this is what it's going to cost. And you can do these things to make it better and the cost will go down. If you're concerned about your organization's capacity to keep selling widgets during the holiday season, then this is what it's going to cost. Or you can do these things, and those are very specific. And they're very different things, Yeah. right? And to your point about this composite policy, it all comes together, right, into a much richer, much more functional, but also much more limited set of coverages for them. They're not just insuring the company. They're ensuring these different things. And you now as the CISO or as the CIO or as the board of directors can decide intentionally, hey, we're looking at these numbers. We believe it's really important for us to protect our transactions. So we're going to spend the X dollars over there. This other thing, also interesting, but we believe given our risk tolerance, we'll take that on, but we want to ensure that. And yeah. the insurance company's like, I think this rocks. The company's like, I know what I'm protecting and everything is better. I mean, I think it makes absolutely perfect sense. And the other thing I came to as, we were t as I was thinking through this model is I can think of applying the CIA matrix 
to yeah. insurance. Right? 100%. So for any asset, tell me whether you're protecting its confidentiality, its integrity, or its availability. And those may have different prices. Yep. And depending on what the asset is, it may have different priorities for those different things. And for those of you, you know, who aren't involved in the security industry, it's just the way you think about security. It's got a bunch of different functionalities. Security is not a thing as much as vendors try to sell it that way. It's a series of characteristics that you provide that protect the users or the information or the availability to business. But I'm thinking if I start applying your mention of the intentionality around asset types and we start thinking about specific security techniques and technologies to protect them, and I think about how I would formulate my insurance brokerage, firm, what have you, coverage, yeah. to cover it, suddenly, not only does it make more sense to me, not only does it make it a more profitable business for the insurers so they can keep doing it, yeah. but as a head of security or a CIO, I am so psyched because I finally can say, I'm not trying to pretend I'm silver bullet, I'm gonna predict everything and never get hacked. I'm saying that if I do these things, then the impact of a ransomware attack against my users is X, or a denial of service attack against my services is Y. And suddenly, we've given that CISO the lever they've been begging for yep. for the last 30 years, which is show me a direct correlation between what I invest and what I save. Because I can talk about savings in terms of the decreased likelihood of long-term impact against one of these characteristics for the policies that I'm taking on. Yeah. And imagine a scenario where <clears throat> you are the CEO of the organization and now you have a functioning CISO that can help you navigate these things. Now, all of a sudden, that, that individual is providing a lot of value to the organization. They're being a true advisor at that point. It, it's totally awesome. I'm just going to keep going, right? Because yeah. now they have that conversation, the CEO now you've got involved. So now the CEO's in the table and he's like, wow, it's really, really expensive to protect that application. What can we do to make it less expensive as opposed to just buying more security widgets or more security bodies? Well, maybe I can move it into the cloud and take advantage of the shared responsibility model and we get lower premiums because of the fact that we know a bunch of it's already being secured and we build it in a different way. And they're like, well, it's going to cost us some money for that transformation, but crap, now there's a reason to go do it. And you start thinking about changing the architecture of the business as the CEO based on a number of different factors, which aren't just... Am I going to get broken into or not? Yeah. That domino falls and the rest starts to fall after that because now your, your RPOs, your recovery point objectives yeah. become clear. Your RTOs, recovery time objectives become clear. And now you know exactly what levers can be pulled when in order to make those things real, right? And But it creates this intentionality to it. And not only does it shift security leaders to the point where they're true business advisors, they're truly adding value to the organization, they're no longer dying on the hill and they're no longer the whipping post because no one can really understand what they do. Like they're truly performing the function at this point, but it starts here. Yeah. Like this, this can start a lot of places, right? But this is one of the places like where this, this is a great toehold. Yeah. I, I love it. And it provides that reinforcement of all these things we talk about all the yeah. time. You know, um, Justin was sharing with me earlier this week, a plan that he had put together a long time ago when he was an executive officer in, in, in security. And it had 17 different steps of things you should think about. And as we're having this conversation, I'm like, each one of those 17 things, or maybe some subset of them, could be an individual area of insurability, or an individual area of concern, yeah. or an individual area, at least, of intentionality. And then suddenly, this becomes, security becomes a business expense, like deciding to change a vendor for a widget, change a factory location, change employee compensation to get stronger people or people in a different geography. Yeah, it becomes part of business. Yeah. Driven by Mario Greco and the team at Zurich. Right. 
Right. Um, so anyway, I don't, I mean, I feel like we beat this one up pretty good, but I, I, I don't see, I mean, I realize it's probably more complex than I'm like giving it credit for, but to me, like a simple back to basics approach and like going back to like what I know they already do well, yeah. like would make this successful. And by the way, not only if they make this successful, they make a whole population of security leaders more valuable to, to their organizations. And so I, I, just, I think it's a really, really big opportunity for people. I think that's a great point to close on, right? We try to help the security leaders, all of you who listen to us try to figure out how to help themselves be more strategic and be yeah. more successful doing all the good work that they're trying to do. And this, this is a great example of it. Yeah. So cool. good place to wrap. Nice. Okay. So season four is starting. I can't believe season three is in the books here. Um, little surreal. Mm-hmm. Think that we've been doing it for this long. I don't, I mean, we're hundreds and hundreds of episodes. It's crazy to think that we're top tech, top 100 U S Europe, Australia. Mm-hmm. So if you've been a listener this whole time, thank you very, very much. Um, I'd encourage you to like it, encourage you to share it, try to bring more people into the fold. Um, most importantly, for season four, um, we are looking to get new and different perspectives instead of hearing Jack and I chatter back and forth. I mean, I think you're an incredibly intelligent person. Ditto. Right. So thank you. I think I am too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We'd also like new perspectives on this. So if you're listening to this, you want to be on the show. Um, you want to share your insights. You have an article. You have a topic. You have a technology that you want reviewed. You have a breach that you want to talk about. I'd encourage you to share it. But most importantly, if you want to be on the show, reach out. Pwned at newharborsecurity.com. Um, tell us a little bit, bit about yourself, what you're trying to do, what topics are interesting to you. And we'd love to have you on to... Uh, to uh, just kind of change change up the flow a little bit for what's going to be an incredible and awesome season four. Right. The best one yet. Um, so for now, thank you, and we'll get you on the next episode. <laughs>